0: He is three for three so far. Check that. He's had one 4 hit game. And Vladdy has done it again. Way back into the second deck. Have a night, Vladdy.
1: Three times tonight. How impressive is this? 443 feet to the second deck in left field. Came off the bat 114 miles an hour. And that's just another great night for a great young hitter.
0: Hey, what's going on? It's At The Letters, brought to you by Miller Lite, the original light beer. Today is Monday, April 18th. My name's Arden Zwelling. Ben Nicholson-Smith is with me. As always, our producers are Nick Andrade and Christian Ryan. Ben, a lot of things to get to. Today, going to recap uh, busy first week or I guess first ten games now for the uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays who are uh, six and four. Lots of injuries. To talk about news and notes. To get to, we're also going to do our over unders today. Finally, ten games into the season, the scheduling and and work and life just got a little crazy. So we uh, had to sort of delay our over unders this year, unfortunately. But we are going to get them in here today so I'm sure a lot of people are going to be excited about that but uh, off the top just want to make note and uh, send all of our best wishes all of our love and support to our colleague Buck Martinez who uh, is stepping away from the mic for a period of time to undergo cancer treatment and uh, something Ben that caught me off guard on Sunday something I wasn't aware of I was in New York with Buck just last week and, and chatting with him and didn't mention anything to me. So I think it's something that, you know, he, he kept a pretty personal private matter until obviously he had to step away from his job and, and release the, the statement the way that he did. I mean, obviously like Buck is an icon, like in baseball, in broadcasting, you know, north and south of the border. He's the former manager of the club, a guy who you'll hear on the international broadcast for postseason in the U S. Obviously like the voice. That people just come to relate to the, the Blue Jays, and I'll find the word I'm looking for right now. But like when you think of the Blue Jays, you think of watching them, I think you hear Buck <laughs> in, in, in your head. And so sending him nothing but the best as, as he receives cancer treatment. And I really like, you know, Buck's, he's gonna kick this thing's ass. He's gonna be back before long. Like I have no doubt that uh, I'm gonna be, you know, seeing him at the ballpark and we're gonna be hearing him on the call uh, for the stretch run this year but uh you know nothing but the best to buck in uh, the coming days and and weeks as as he uh you know as he fights this thing
1: yeah we definitely echo all of that I mean Buck Martinez such a such a fixture around the blue Jays has been for such a long time it's really hard to imagine blue Jays games without him and so sending all kinds of, of good wishes to Buck as he tries to recover and it hopefully does very swiftly and and very fully so you mentioned how how he is an icon in baseball and it's he's somebody knows everyone you know you're you're at A ball game with him in spring training, on the road, in Toronto. He knows the other broadcasters. He knows the umpires. He knows the coaches, the players. Buck knows so much about baseball, has such a depth of knowledge. And and so he brings that to the broadcasts all the time um, and certainly sending him our best. Yeah, it always strikes me how like even like the young guys
0: on visiting rosters like know Buck and like come up and talk to him, um, you know, when we're on the road and stuff like that. Like guys who like wouldn't have been alive to watch him play, you know, and still like they know Buck because they they grew up hearing him on on the call or, or, you know, they they know of him through the game. Like obviously like super, super well respected. You know, nobody's going to have a bad thing to say about about Buck. So best wishes, pal. We're going to see you soon. You're going to kick this thing's ass. There's absolutely no doubt. Let's talk Blue Jays, Ben, because we have quite a few over to get to in the back half of this episode. So let's kind of like quickly recap where things are at. With the club, I was in New York. Last week, and then I uh, took the weekend off because I would like worked every day for I don't know a month or something like that. So you were down at the ballpark, so I mean, I'll just kind of like ask you like, what's going on with this team? What's the tenor right now? You take two or three from Oakland. Um, you know, more injuries come down this weekend. I mean, where where the things kind of stand from, from your perspective, having been at the ballpark over the weekend?
1: You know, I think they're mostly in a good spot. I think that the Ryu injury it's kind of paired with his struggles. You just kind of take away Ryu, whether it's because of the struggles or the injury or both. I mean, that's been really disappointing to see that the struggles he had at the end of 2021 continued and persisted and arguably worsened in those first couple starts. So that's an issue. But for the Jays to have Ross Stripling basically ready to step in on turn, stretched out, if you're going to lose a Hyunjin Ryu, then this is probably the best way that you can do it. And, you know, of course, Stripling, now he was supposed to be that insurance policy. Now he's in the rotation. So you lose a little bit of depth by doing that, but you might not lose effectiveness. So that's clearly, you know, one big concern, one big transition point for this team. But, you know, beyond that, I think they're roughly where they should be. It's to be six and four. You want to beat the Rangers? They did. You want to beat the A's? They did. To split against the Yankees? Okay. You know, that's fair enough. So I think they're in a decent spot. I, I don't think that they've completely... You know, stormed out of the gate and just overpowered everyone but to expect that probably would have been unrealistic too
0: yeah being six and four with some of the you know adversity that they've faced in terms of injuries some of the you know tough umpiring they've faced with some of the days when the bats just haven't been there some of the pitching performances they've had opening day starter gone out that's pretty good 97 win pace after all of that in a funny way like going from Ryu to Stripling and the rotation is like a low-key upgrade just based on the form that Ryu was in and the form that Stripling is right now. But that certainly doesn't make it a positive situation because like obviously the ceiling of a Hunjin Ryu is like Cy Young candidate. And it wasn't that long ago that we saw that. But you're right. Like these struggles for him have stretched back into you know, the end of the 2021 season and they've now continued here in 2022. So it's not, you know, it's not so much a blip. Like this is sort of a trend now and it's got to be concerning. And like, we just, we don't know enough, right? You know, the Blue Jays have called it forearm inflammation and every pitcher in the majors right now has inflammation and is dealing with inflammation. So like that just doesn't tell us a lot. So like my biggest question right now is just, is this something more significant from a, from an injury standpoint? Is this something structural? Is it something he's going to have to have repaired something he's been carrying since last year and just kind of tried to pitch through and isn't able to, or is it just like a decline Phase? And is it like, uh, you know, his effectiveness waning later in his career? Like those are some of the really like big questions that need to sort of be answered around Hyunjin Ryu, because this isn't a guy that you're going to shift to the bullpen, I don't think. (laughs) Like this isn't a guy who really profiles as like a long bulk reliever, right? Like that's the, you know, the credit to Ross Stripling for his incredible versatility and flexibility and being able to like bounce back and forth between those roles of kind of being a long guy out of the bullpen, throwing like one inning outings earlier this year, and now taking on a rotation job. Like that's not easy. You know it's not easy to program your week and structure the way that you do things. Doing that, so I don't know the hundred Ryu is going to be that guy for you. I think he's a starter for you, and you need to figure out how to get him back to being effective. And he walks that such a fine line of velocity and command. Where if he's on the right side of that line, and the velocity is like ninety one, and the you know command of the changeup and the curveball are on the corners and on the black, well, all of a sudden he's like pretty dominant. In the major leagues but if he's on the wrong side of that line and the velocity on the fastball is like 88 89 and the command of the change up and the curveball are more over the heart of the plate all of a sudden he's straight up uncompetitive in the major leagues so the blue jays need to figure out like some of the answers to those bigger more global questions around him and how to get him on the right side of that line going forward Um, And I just don't think we know enough about it right now to really assess who he's
1: going to be when he comes back. Yeah, exactly. Two starts, just not enough. So they need some more time. He'll get those chances as the season progresses here to step back into that rotation and and see what he can do. In the meantime, you have a guy in Stripling who, I loved his line after his start on Friday, where he says he knows he's not Jacob deGrom. He knows he's not Jordan Romano. He's somewhere in between. And he's just going to... Give value to the Blue Jays by being in that role. But, you know, last year I was looking at it as I was writing about that game and he started 19 of his 24 games. So as much as we talk about him as kind of a swing guy, he's essentially been a starter for them (laughs) for the last little while. And I think that'll probably continue here and he'll have a chance to run with this a little bit. You know, I'm not anticipating that. Exactly how long Ryu is going to be out, but there's a lot of room in that rotation. And even if he does come back, you know, you could stay with six for a while to keep guys stretched out. I do like watching
0: Ross Stripling pitch because he throws this like crazy curveball and he'll throw it like first pitch, he'll double up on it, it'll be an out pitch for him, he'll land it in the zone, he'll go strike to ball with it. Like his curveball is like huge. Um, and it is fun to watch him kind of work his way in through an order a couple times and kind of like throw the kitchen sink at guys. Cause like similar to Ryu, he's not going to have stuff anybody he's not going to like throw the ball past anybody. So he kind of has to pitch with a bit of craft and a bit of guile. But um you know, this is the benefit of depth for the blue Jays is having a guy like this ready to step into your rotation and carry a bit of an innings load here where you need it. I think, you know, just kind of an ancillary concern now is now that depth has been eaten into so now your next option if say like kevin gosman should need a starter two off or you know Barrios or whoever in your rotation you need somebody to step in all of a sudden it's like anthony Kay. Or it's uh, let's see what Bowden Francis can be at the big league level. Like that is another sort of downside of this is that you are now eating into your depth and you're now in a position entering a a phase where you're going to play 20 games in 20 days. The maximum allowable under the CBA, you cannot have 21 and 21. 20 and 20 is absolutely the most that you can have. Blue Jays are about to enter that stretch with their starting depth kind of already tested like they're in a position where I imagine Ross Stripling was going to make like sixth starter quote-unquote starts in that stretch anyway and now he's part of the five so somebody else if you're
1: looking to back guys off might need to step up here for sure two other things that kind of observed over the weekend here one would be the defense I, I think that defensively this team is looking good like I'm seeing actually some impressive defense and you know it's we talked about this a little bit the last time we spoke but you know you continue to see Boba you see Vladdy with his footwork Teoscar looked good before he went down but even on Sunday Biggio making a really nice catch in right field you've got Espinal making some good plays of course Chapman goes without saying what he can do. And then Bradley Zimmer. I mean, Bradley Zimmer is a really nice pickup defensively for this team, making that last play on Sunday to make sure that that Pache fly ball did not land for extra bases. You know, all those things are positive. And even Alejandro Kirk. I mean, we've talked about this a little bit. But, you know, Kirk, the framing. I've talked to pitchers who say that, you know, they've been impressed with Kirk. They like what they've seen from Kirk defensively. And then even with the running game, there was a play on Sunday where the pitch was up high to Kirk's left, and he had to grab it and kind of corral it, but he still made a good throw down to second base. So, you know, defensively, there's some positive signs here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Agree with you on uh, on all of the above. And didn't you have one more thing about Vlad you wanted to get to?
1: Yeah. So on Vladdy, I mean, so right after we recorded the last time. So he hit three home runs, obviously incredible game. That's been well documented. But even since then, he's had this kind of up and down week where he struck out four times the next day then comes into Toronto homers that game then he struck out a lot on the weekend as well so really frustrated seeing a lot of frustration from him on the field on Sunday and it's just interesting to see these kind of ups and downs even for a hitter who you know objectively speaking is probably the best right-handed hitter in baseball along with Mike Trout he's still having these ups and downs he's still having these moments of frustration and still having pitchers like Luis Severino he just doesn't see the ball well against and that was something the Jays admitted i'm honestly kind of surprised that Charlie Montoyo did admit that Vladdy has that trouble against Severino picking up the ball but the Yankees now know that and that's a matter of public record now but it's interesting just to see these kind of ups and downs for a player who's you know the best at what he does but it's still tough to really find that game to game kind of consistency
0: yeah he's not mythical there are going to be pitchers that give him. Tr- I'm sure Mike Trout has guys that he doesn't see. I'm sure Mickey Mantle, there were certain guys he was like, man, I just can't pick up the spin with him or whatever it is. I mean, if Vlad is just off to, a, I think, a really strong start, like you'd like to see a few more walks maybe, but the guys put up like half a win in the first 10 games of the season. It's a pretty
1: good pace to be on, Ben. That's a great pace, and yeah, I could see him <laughs> sustaining it at this point. What's that, eight over a full year? I could see Vladi doing that which brings us to keeping it light brought to
0: you by miller light the original light beer Then 10 games, three injuries to like some pretty key pieces for the Toronto Blue Jays. We talked about Hunjin Ryu earlier, and then there's also the oblique strains suffered by Teoscar Hernandez and Danny Jansen. Uh, Just as things stand today, injuries are unpredictable. Everybody heals at different rates. No two muscle tears are created equal. Anything can happen. But just as things stand today, like which of these three injuries do you think could potentially be most impactful to the Blue Jays? Like, Which of these three should the club be most concerned about
1: going forward? Yeah, you never want to be a, in a point 10 games into the season where you're choosing between three, and you have three like real candidates for problematic injuries, but that's where the Jays are. And to me, it's stay Oscar Hernandez. I mean, you look at what he does on a very consistent basis from a power standpoint, it's really hard to find. He's proven himself to be a silver slugger type hitter year after year. The results are there he was well on his way to, to sustaining that and building on that in 2022 and so to try to get by without him i know they have tapia i know they have zimmer but to me those guys are better suited in part-time roles in complementary roles you don't want to push them too much into the spotlight so between the loss of your cleanup hitter a guy who is stepping up defensively and looking better even in right field with some of his defensive plays it really is to me that's the biggest loss of the three they're all really big right and for all the
0: reasons you just cited the Teoscar Hernandez one is really big he doesn't get enough credit from us from you know MLB wide for what he's done over the last couple of years like if Teoscar Hernandez was on a bad team he would be the best player on that bad team and he would be their all-star representative and he would get way more play like if he was uh you know like a Washington National or something right like he would be like the the Juan Soto of some other team like because this is incredible what he does, but it just kind of gets lost in the background with Springer and Bichette and Guerrero, etc. cetera. Hunjin uh, Ryu, like, that's a big injury. That's a guy who threw nearly 170 innings for this club last season, made almost 30 starts, and they were expecting something similar from him again this year. So those innings, that workload now has to come from somewhere, and that's now testing your depth at a time when you're like playing a lot of games and not a lot of time, so that one's big. But I think the biggest one is Danny Hitson honestly, because it doesn't only impact the Blue Jays behind the plate, it impacts their like entire pitching staff. It impacts, it's not just Danny Jansen it's you say Kikuchi and it's Jose Barrios and it's Kevin Gosman and it's like Jordan Romano and Adam Simber and everybody in that bullpen. Like it's everyone who had worked with Danny Jansen throughout the spring and was expecting to throw to him consistently during the regular season. That's now a slight downgrade for all of those guys, for all of those pitchers who are now having to learn new catchers, right? Like Alejandro Kirk knows his pitching staff and has the trust of this pitching staff, but he's not going to catch everybody because he can't catch every day. So now it's all of a sudden, all right, let me try to get on the same page with the Zach Collins or Tyler Heinemann. Like, Let's get this guy learning what I like to do in certain spots, how I like my catchers to set up and receive, what type of rhythm and tempo I like to have. Throughout a game, what pitches I like to go to when something else isn't working. Like there's a lot of things going on beneath the surface there that like a lot of like institutional knowledge that Danny Jansen would just have that other catchers aren't going to have with the pitching staff. And it's going to take some time to get assimilated. Um, like you look at Yusei Kikuchi, who spent all spring working on these adjustments the Blue Jays are trying to get him to make and trying to come out of like the second half of 2021 that he had where his contact management was terrible and he was giving up a ton of homers he's trying to do things differently he's changed his delivery he's moved on the mound all this stuff works with Danny Jansen all these adjustments time to start and debut for 2022 first outing of the year ready to throw Danny Jansen two days before Jansen gets hurt now all of a sudden it's Tyler Heineman who he's never even thrown to before like it's just not a good spot for for him to have success Um, and then even beyond that the timing for Danny Jansen who had like come out of honestly years of struggle at the plate offensively at the right at the end of 2021 and had kind of like stopped trying to go the other way embraced the pull approach knew that if he just got the bad head out to pitches in the zone that like hits the other way would just come naturally for him if he stopped trying to hit it the other way and was having great success and like great results at the plate. And I think was like mentally feeling as good as he's felt at the plate in a long, long time. And then to carry it over into 2022 and have this injury happen when it did when he was off to such a strong offensive start, it sucks for that reason as well. And then yet another one is that now it ups the demands on Alejandro Kirk, who you probably already had some durability issues or concerns with like prior, To him taking on what is now going to be a starter's workload, like for in the sort of like Evan Gaddis role that he was going to fill for this club. Like, I think already. The Blue Jays were like, yeah, let's try to you know get this guy to the finish line, and see if he can hold up over a full season. Well, now Andrew Kirk's going to catch three out of five days, so even more wear and tear on on the joints and the knees and the hips. Don't forget this guy missed like two months last year with a hip issue, right? So you know even more foul tips and you know, getting beat up behind the plate and trying to block balls in the dirt and everything that goes into being a a catcher. All of that for a guy who hasn't had the best start. At the plate to the season and now has to worry about all these other things and now has to take the additional beating that catching more is going to take on his body. So that's why I think Jansen is the most impactful one just because it just it's not just Jansen, which would be pretty big on its own. It bleeds off like there are knock on effects
1: for uh, basically every other player on this roster. Yeah, there definitely are. I mean, it was interesting talking to Ryan Baraki just before he was activated on sunday and he was he's someone who's obviously worked very closely with danny jansen they're really good friends even beyond the game and brocky was saying like when he works with jansen it's just so simple he just understands exactly what almost before brocky's thought of the pitch jansen has thought of the pitch and you know that's a pretty unique pitcher catcher dynamic they've worked together for years in the majors and minors really any setting you can imagine these guys have have worked together. So there is that familiarity there. But, you know, Brucky was saying, you know, with someone like Kirk or with, with one of these new catchers, he's building that familiarity. And he said, those guys are all good to work with. You know, it's not so much that the, the choice would end up being different or the result would end up being different, but sometimes it's just that feeling on the mound where he just knows he's on that same page. And then it's just like, let's go. All right, we got this. We're very much on that same page. And Jansen would have that with a lot of pitchers on this staff. I mean, Ryu would be one of them, and you'd see others on this staff who have worked extensively with Danny Jansen. So that is a loss anytime that he's on the sidelines.
0: Yeah, there's a confidence there,
1: right? There's a certainty, and there's like a reassurance and a conviction
0: that comes with your pitches when you really trust the guy behind the plate and the guy who's putting down, like pitchers say this all the time, and it's hard for us to relate to it having never stood on that mound. But they say, when I see a catcher like put down a, call with conviction and say like no throw your slider again like you just missed with your slider we're going to double up on it i am convicted and putting or <laughs> punching these digits into my risk now i guess but put it you know making a call with conviction in a spot where maybe a, a pitcher is questioning their their confidence in a pitch that matters. And pitchers talk about that all the time. And that is something that, yeah, I think that, you know, the prior relationship and history of Danny Jansen, a lot of these guys would have. So, And that's, that's the other thing is I think that the oblique for Jansen is a bit more significant than Hernandez's. I think, you know, Teoscar's is more significant than the one he had in 2020. Like, I think it's a bit more, you know, of a clear injury. But I am expecting Teoscar Hernandez to be back before Danny Jansen is. So that's the other thing too is that i think the jansen absence is going to be longer than the teoscar and absence so that also makes it more impactful for me the depth is
1: being tested on many fronts for these jays
0: no kidding uh let's step away but when we come back finally over unders time 2022 10 games into the season we're doing it when we continue on at the letters It continues on At The Letters. Arden Zwelling, Ben Nicholson, Smith, our producers Christian Ryan and Nick Ondraud and Amal Delich uh, overseeing the operation. And uh, as always, we thank them for their help throughout the year, but particularly on days like today when it is a pretty heavy lifting episode because today is over-unders episode for 2022. And I guess this is our eighth annual then because i'm pretty sure that we've been doing this since day one of the podcast so eighth time we're doing the over-unders here happy over-under day
1: yeah exactly should be fun you know you see all kinds of sports media companies pairing with gambling companies and talking betting <laughs> we've been doing this for a long time long before everyone else was was talking about over-unders and parlay so this is a, a staple welcome back to anyone who's enjoyed it in the past we're glad to have people playing along look forward to this episode every year and for anyone who has not yet listened to an over-unders episode of ATL basically Arden and I make predictions usually some of these predictions will end up being wildly wrong we have gotten many of these wrong it is almost an annual kind of rite of passage to get some over-unders way off the mark but that's part of the fun because baseball is impossible to predict even for those of us who watch a whole lot of it so looking forward to seeing which ones were very wrong on this year yes we are always so ahead of our time aren't we
0: ben and yeah i think that that's the biggest thing to always take away from over-unders every year is that it is just a demonstration of how much changes in a baseball season over six months how much rosters change how much expectations change how performance fluctuates and how little all of us know not just us in the media not just observers fans people in the game know very little as well they work off of projections and they have ideas and they try to predict the future but nobody can predict the future crazy things happens so we'll look back on some of these over-unders when when we look back on them in the fall and go like wow that's what we were talking about in april that's crazy that seems insane at this time to think that we were talking about that only six months ago but that's baseball that's why we like it right Cause it's unpredictable and it's crazy so uh let's start off here at the top, uh, we have George Springer games played, and we have set the over under at 139 and a half. Ben, are you over or under on that? Under. What about you? I am also under because I just, uh, you know, when's the last time he did it? <laughs> Probably like yeah. 17 or 18 or something like that. And obviously, there's a shortened season in there, but. Yeah, it's tough to bet on like an outfielder in his 30s being over 139 and a half. I think I already expect George Springer to be getting a bunch of DH days this year and be sort of quote unquote load managed and have his days off. And maybe there's a, a quick IL stint in
1: there as well. So yeah, I'm going under. So far, he's been taking the field. So far, he's been, he's been healthy, playing really well, as you'd expect. But it's a tough one to sustain all year. I mean, should we lower that? Should we make it 129.5? I'm fine with where it's at. There it is. Two unders on the first one. So that brings us to the second over-under here. This one is the Blue Jays games played leader over-under 159.5. And last year, we saw Marcus Simeon play in every single Blue Jays game. Boba Shep played in, I want to say, 161. And Vladdy was around 159, if I'm not mistaken. So question here basically being, will anyone on the Blue Jays play 160 games this year? Yeah, Bo is the one guy I would have bet on.
0: And I think he's absolutely capable of it, but I just it's too easy to see three off days in there. Even if he doesn't like land on the IL for something, to all it would take would be like two games where it's like, oh, we just gotta, you know, sit him down, you know, give him a little break here because something's barking or he took a pitch off the wrong area or whatever.
1: So yeah, I'm I'm going under on this one. Yeah, I think that's the right call. I would also agree under uh, you know, Vladdy going to push for it. Bo's going to push for it. They want to be over there. But, like you say, something is often going to come up and it's going to be a tough one to to get to that level. Hitting 300 is not something that you see quite as commonly
0: in today's game as maybe you once did. Was, you know, Velo has like gone through the roof and spinning stuff is crazy and guys are swinging harder than ever before and trying to juice their OPSs so they can get paid, leads to lots of swing and miss. Um, but, we have set an over-under for the Blue Jays of Blue Jays who hit 300 at one and a half. So essentially, will there be two Blue Jays to hit 300 or not? And the minimum in plate appearances is going to be 300 so that we don't uh, get any kind of small sample craziness. Ben, one and
1: a half Blue Jays who bat 300 over or under. I'm going over. I, you know, I think Vladdy will. I think that's one that you can almost lock in to the extent that you can lock in any 300 hitter. I think Vladdy will do it. Then beyond that, you've got some good candidates Teoscar, Lourdes, Bo, Kirk, even Espinal. I don't see Espinal necessarily doing it, but he's come close before. So I'm pretty confident taking the over here. I'm going to go under I think Vlad will do it but I don't think there'll be a second guy who does it in over 300
0: plate appearances like I, I could see like an you know like espinol I think did it last year but I don't think he had 300 plate appearances so like to do it in that large
1: of a sample is pretty difficult so I'm uh, I guess I'm going to play it safe I'm going to go under. That can um, certainly pay off. Uh, Betting the under is uh, historically a very good strategy. And that brings us to kind of a big picture one here. So this is ALDS games played. We've set the over-under at 0.5. Now, in years past, ALDS was, you know, basically you get into the playoffs, you're automatically in the ALDS. Um, So that was a bit of a different bar. But now with the expanded playoffs, you can be a wildcard team and lose in that initial round of the playoffs and not reach the ALDS. This is kind of the second round of the playoffs as they're currently constituted. So two teams will get buys in each league to the ALDS. The other playoff teams will have to win a series and kind of earn their way to the division series. So zero point five is the over under there. Arden, what do you got? I'm going over. I don't think
0: the Blue Jays are going to be a uh top two seed in the American League I think they're going to win the AL East and be the three seed behind uh, the White Sox and Astros and I think they're going to have to play in a wild card series and I think they're going to win that wild card series and move on to play a game in the ALDS
1: yeah I think over is the right call here I mean I have them going to the World Series I think that you know this is a team that has that kind of ability. I, I still think that after watching them for ten games, not a perfect team. Obviously, they've got their issues. They'll have to improve on some things as the year goes on. But I see them as a team that definitely makes it to the to the ALDS and hits that over. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. home runs, and we have set the over
0: under at forty nine and a half. So will Vladdy crack fifty this year? Got to forty eight last year will Vladdy hit 50 over or under
1: 49 and a half flat home runs i mean is that over under too high is that is that too much to put on the guy i don't know like it's it's he's the i don't best. know you said it best. <laughs> so you tell <told> yeah, me <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah well yeah i think that i i would have to take the under here and i think if any player in baseball can hit 50 home runs i think it's Vladdy. but in any given year i think the safe play is to take the is to take the under yeah no i'm under as well yeah for, i'm yeah. pretty easily under then we have Kevin Gosman. So, this one is kind of two pitchers in relation to each other Kevin Gosman, Robbie Ray. So, Kevin Gosman is clearly the, the big pitcher on the Blue Jays staff. They're their big free agent acquisition this offseason. Robbie Ray was someone who was a free agent at the same time. These guys are comparable ages. They came up together, and Ray ended up signing a very comparable deal with the Mariners. So, as this season kind of gets underway, and they both made a couple starts here, Gosman's pretty good, Ray's not so good. The over-under is, will Kevin Gosman's war be over or under one-time Robbie Ray's war? So basically, who will have the higher war among those two pitchers using Bref and Fangraphs, an average between the two? Who will have the higher war in 2022? So a little bit convoluted, not our first kind of convoluted uh, over-under in the history of this podcast, but... Arden, how do you look at those two in relation to each other? Well, first of all, is so is Ray struggling? I haven't seen a Robbie Ray pitch this year, to be completely honest with you. So I looked at the numbers. He's got like six K per nine and four walks per nine. His ERA is in the high fours after two starts. So the walks have been up a little bit. Actually, strikeouts way down. Way down. That's weird. Yeah.
0: That is strange. Well, so I I was going to pick Gosman, but now that only like reaffirms my choice that, yeah, I think. Kevin Gosman will have a higher war than Robbie. That's basically what the question is. Yeah, I think that Kevin Gosman will will have the higher wins above replacement. I think they'll both be good. Like I think they're both going to have really solid seasons for their for their clubs.
1: Um, but I, I'm going with Kevin Gosman on this one. Over nice one point times Robbie Ray's war. Yeah, I'm going to have to take the same. I think you know if you would ask me at the time that they signed, I honestly would have said that Ray would be higher in 2022. I thought that. You know, Gosman was probably a safer long-term bet, and Ray was the best bet to be good right now because he was dominant in 2021. He was a Cy Young winner. I mean, it was no one was better than Robbie Ray last year. But looking at the first two starts, looking at Gosman, seeing his splitter, how it plays in this division against some of these really good hitters, I, you know, I think Gosman's going to be really good. And then seeing that little wrinkle from Robbie Ray is enough to make me more confident in choosing Gosman. Bo
0: Bichette, is he or is he not a five win player in 2022? Is essentially what we're looking at here. Over under Bo Bichette, five war. We're going to again take an average,
1: I guess, of B war and F war. uh But yeah, is Bo Bichette a five win player or not? I wouldn't take the over on a lot of players right here, but I'll take the over on Bichette. I know he's not off to the greatest start offensively, but premium position. He's going to steal you some bases. He's going to hit some home runs. He's going to take the field basically every day he's young he's in his prime he's still learning some things and developing to me this isn't over and that's a that's a big compliment to bichette because you know Vladdy would be an over here but there are not a lot of players in baseball that i would take the over on for five war
0: i go under because just because it's a counting stat so i think it's you know they at some point it's hard not to bet against there being an il stint or like uh like i said earlier like a few games he has to sit out even if he doesn't go on The IL, um, you know, Bo can also be kind of like a streaky guy at times. So, like, for him to get over five, you're going to have to time those streaks correctly. Uh, And so, yeah, I'm going to go under with uh, Bobashek and the five wins this year. But I think he's totally capable of it. Like, I think for sure he's could like last year he was probably pretty close to being the five win player I would assume and yeah I think he's absolutely capable of taking another step if the playing time is there and if uh you know if he's hot at, at the right times but I I guess I'm going to play it safe I'm going to go under
1: all right our next one does tie in to bo as well so this one is a combination one and I'll try to explain it as clearly as I can it's a little complicated but essentially how many pairs of teammates? So, you know, Miguel Cabrera and Spencer Torkelson, Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. How many pairs of teammates will have more war than Bo and Vlad combined in 2022? So, DeGrom Scherzer, how many pairs of teammates? Now, we've set the over under here at 1.5. So, basically, will there be two pairs of teammates that have more war than Vlad and Bo in 2022? Yeah, I'm gonna go
0: over on this one. And I think Vlad and Bo are both gonna have excellent seasons and put up a ton of war, but I just think that of some of the other combinations across baseball, like whether it's like, you know, a Harper Nola or uh, you know, like you said, a Trout Otani or um, you know, like a, a Bueller Trey Turner, like there's just like a ton of combinations out there. That like the White Sox might have two pitchers <laughs> who do this. So uh, you know, I, I'm gonna take the over on one and a half pairs of
1: teammates that outwore Flat i think that makes sense i mean again i'm wondering now as we kind of talk about this should we raise the over under to 2.5 because i'm clearly taking the over at 1.5 i'd take the, the over at 2.5 as well yeah
0: i think i would too Moving right along to Matt Chapman, we had to have a Matt Chapman one in here. A uh, big, big time acquisition for the Blue Jays in the off season, uh, and it's gotta be defensive as always. There, there, are probably a bunch of you know ones we could do at the plate, just considering kind of like the weird season that he's coming off of offensively and what he was earlier in his career. But Matt Chapman, the calling card, the hallmark of his game, the constant of his game that has not slumped at any point in his career has been his defense one of the best defenders at third base in baseball. Over under. Defensive runs saved for Matt Chapman, 18.5.
1: I'm going under. And you know, I think that again, it's a counting stats. So it's not to say that on any given day Chapman won't be a remarkable offensive third baseman. But I think if if we're putting the over under there, and again that's based on what he's done historically in his career. You know, he's also been a guy who's historically taken the field really consistently. He's been playing in Oakland, which is a park that, you know, does allow for a third baseman to really shine with that foul territory. So I'm taking the under here. I think that he's going to be the best American League defensive third baseman. But that might be 12. That might be 13. So that's where I land on this one. Yeah, I think he's going to get close. Like, I think it's well set. But I, I think he'll
0: be under. Like, I could see, like, 16, 17. But I, you know, I don't think he's going to clear eighteen point five. So, so I'll go under.
1: Staying on the infield here, we have a Santiago Espinal OPS plus over under, and clearly, you know, we've seen Espinal have a good offensive season last year. Then he showed up bigger, stronger in spring training. He's made some really good contact in the games that count already. So you're seeing exit velos one hundred six, one hundred seven. That's a good sign. So at this point. As we record this on Monday, the 18th of April, his OPS plus is 106. Again, last year was 112. So the over-under is set at 112.5. Can he surpass what his OPS plus was in 2021? I'm going to go under on the 112.5
0: OPS plus for Santiago Espinal. And it's going to be like kind of in a weird convoluted way. Like I think it's because he's going to play so much this year that he'll be under. Like I think in a weird like small sample way, he could get over that but I think because like what last year I don't know off the top of my head but probably close to 300 plate appearances like he might be up over 400 this year nearing 450 like I just think in that much of a sample you're going to see him closer to 100 I think he could still be over 100 which is like a credit to him because that means he's above average MLB hitter and he's going to be really useful for the Blue Jays like that's a really solid guy to have on your club um but to get up over uh 112 and is, a half is a bridge too
1: far for me so I'm going under yeah 112 is that's a lot I mean I forget where we set up for Marcus Simeon entering the 2021 season but it was probably around there and of course he shattered that but that's a different kind of offensive player I mean in Espinal you're looking at more of a slashing type hitter some doubles power of course he can run into a few homers but you know, really his calling card is the defense, some good contact ability, give you a pretty decent at bat. But I too would be on the under on this one. Gabriel
0: Moreno, name that is uh, going to be on the tips of the tongues of Blue Jays fans for, uh, pretty much all year because this is like, this is the guy, right? Last year it was Alec Manoa, call up Alec Manoa. Two years before that, call up Boba Shet, call Boba Year before that, call up Vladimir Guerrero Jr., call up Vladimir Guerrero Jr. This year it's going to be Gabriel Moreno off to a strong start at AAA. Pretty weird spring training for him, all kinds of trouble getting over, uh, getting stateside. But now he's here and he is playing and he's putting up numbers and he's producing. Uh, he's doing what he needs to do to get a call up to the big leagues. We have set the over under for MLB regular season games played by Gabriel Moreno at
1: 29 and a half. Ben, are you over or under that mark? I got to be under here. I think he makes it to the majors this year. I think that he contributes and brings offensive value immediately. If the Jays are in the playoffs, I think he's actually on their playoff roster. And that's why you know I think we have to have the regular season clarification here because he could be one of those guys that actually plays a decent amount in the postseason, depending on how things go. Of course, the Jays have to get there and he has to continue proving himself in the upper minors for that to happen. But I think there are scenarios where he impresses and he becomes a late season contributor. But a month of games is a lot. And even if he's on the roster for a month, he's not going to play every single day. So to me, it's an under. I think we see him. I don't think it's 30 games. I'm over. I think that Gabriel
0: Moreno is going to like Kool-Aid man his way through the door. Like he's he's going to break down the door to the big leagues. I have a lot of faith in Gabriel Moreno's big league readiness just talk to guys around him they talk about the poise the maturity the presence they talk about how seriously he takes things they talk about like little things like like his batting practice how he shows up and takes a very like advanced and mature batting practice and really works on things um you know, you talk, obviously, like, the hit tool is is incredible. And I think that also some of the catching tools, like, are really starting to stand out. You look at him gunning out base runners and the pop time is great. And the way he blocks balls in the dirt, how athletic he is behind the plate. Like, I think that the tools are ready. If there's one thing that's maybe, like, not MLB ready just yet, it would be, like, the game calling and the in-game adjustments and reading swings and just kind of doing all those things under the lights in MLB you know with the third deck effect and and being on television and how quickly the game moves at the MLB level like we'll never understand that never being in that box or behind that plate but like the game does move faster and does get on you quicker and you make one mistake and then that compounds into another and things can kind of spiral for young players so maybe that's the one thing that's holding him back but I think he's just going to put up numbers and perform in a way in the early season that makes him undeniable by like june july latest if not earlier and if you also talk to people around the blue jays you kind of get the sense like they've been preparing themselves for that scenario during spring training gabriel moreno had like a series of one-on-one training sessions with blue jays major league staff about what a typical game day would entail about here's how we look at advanced reports. Here's what our scouting reports look like. Here's what a pitchers and catchers meeting would look like. Here's what would be expected of you. Here's how that would play out. Here's how, you know, we would, when we would throw our bullpens. Like, they basically did, like, dry runs for the guy of, like, what a day would be like being the catcher on the big league roster. The Blue Jays don't do that if they aren't expecting him to be catching for them in the big leagues this season. So... For all those reasons and more, I'm going over on 29 and a half Moreno games
1: in the big leagues this year. Well, let's hope it happens. That would be that would be awesome. That'd be fun to watch. Yeah, certainly you hear really good things about Moreno. Anyone who's worked with him, thrown to him, he's really come a long way. So he's getting close. He's getting close for sure. And I hope you're right on that one. right sticking with prospects here and this one to me honestly this might be the toughest one yet but this is a martinez double a prospect he's already got four maybe five home runs in double a striking out a lot not walking a lot so there's some plates swing decision type uh, work to do for a martinez of course there are defensive challenges defensive development as you'd expect for any 20 year old infielder but He's got a ton of talent, as we saw in spring training. So the over-under here is Major League Games, Orelvus Martinez, and 0.5 is the number. So basically, will he appear in a single Major League game this season? Over. That's probably the biggest bet that I'm going to make
0: in the over-unders this year. But I think Orelvus Martinez plays regular season MLB games this year like I asked somebody at the jays the other day just kind of like who's standing out like in the minors like who's you know just you know as things have started like who's reported and looked really good and the answer was like you know it's the guys that you'd want it's moreno and it's martinez like those guys have shown up in a really big way and i was kind of like pulling the reins during spring training on it with martinez a little bit right because it's like look he's still so young the swing decisions are still a thing like obviously it's you know the, the sound off the bat is huge like he looks like as vladdy put it like a young hanley ramirez he's kind of pulling the reins like let's see let's see it's hard to pull the reins now man the way he started the year man like he's he is legit he's shown up in a big way and i just see a scenario down the stretch where it's august to september somebody's hurt blue jays are in a uh, a playoff race they need wins they need impact on the big league roster It's a playoff year. It's a World Series year. And they're like, we just got to push talent to our big league roster right now. Is this the ideal development track? No, probably not how we would have drawn it up. But circumstances, the reality is our best chance of winning a World Series this year is with Earl Elvis Martinez on our big league roster come fall.
1: So um, I'm going over. I think this is one of those times where you've convinced me. Like your answer is inadvertently persuasive, or, or I guess, you know, intentionally persuasive. And I think you persuaded me from the under to the over here. So I'm with you on that one. I think Arelvis ends up playing at least one game, and that's enough to take the over here. Why were you going to be under? Just for all the normal reasons. I mean, he's in double A, he's young, they already have second baseman and shortstops and third baseman. There are only 28 roster spots, too. It's not like you go to forty in September. That impacts things. There's always the chance of injury. There's always the chance of him just needing more time. So those would be reasons to take the under. But as you said, just one injury, if they need that power, then he could be someone that they they call on.
0: Yeah. I think we're gonna see Moreno and Martinez like on the Blue Jays in September. I think it's gonna be pretty cool randall grichick has snuck his way into the over-unders for 2022 and we have set the over-under on randall grichick home runs playing for the colorado rockies for the entire season we assume if he doesn't trade again at 27 and a half Coorsfield effect playing on not the greatest team effect uh is randall grichick going to get up over 27 home runs this year ben
1: i'm taking the over here yeah I think I'm taking the over here because you sound very certain in that. (laughs) I think, you know, Grichik; he's going to have the playing time. He's got the best possible park and he's got the power. So I'm taking the over. I mean, the only thing that would persuade me to not would just be the possibility of an injury, but he could still miss a few weeks and get to 28 home runs. So, you know, ideal setting for a power hitter and there's not really a ton of threat to his playing time. So I will take the over here. I'm going to take the over as well. I think he's going to enter September with like
0: 19 and we're going to be like, oh no, he's going to be under. And then he's going to hit like nine in September. I just think that's the way I think it's going to play out with him. So yeah, I'll go over as well. I like it.
1: All right. So now back to the Jays. This one is kind of connected to their extensions um, and in-season extensions in particular, So this would end the moment the final pitch of the regular season is thrown, we'll know where this one lands. The over-under here is 0.5 in-season extensions valued over $20 million. So that means if Vladdy signs, that would check this box. If Bo signs, that checks this box. If they sign Adam Simber to like a one-year extension, then that <laughs> probably doesn't. So the over-under is 0.5. The minimum threshold is $20 million. Yeah, it would be like Vlad, Bo, Teoscar,
0: would be Lourdes. the can- the qu- candidates. Yeah, Lourdes, I guess, Chapman, as Well, Manoa, Romano, under. I don't see it. I don't think that anybody's signing an extension in season with this uh, with this club. Don't see it happening.
1: Yeah, I I don't see it either, and that probably is disappointing to some people because I know that a lot of people would love to see Vladdy and Bo signed long term. Those are the main ones, of course, but. I don't see that happening at this point. I see those guys more so progressing year to year, um, at least for the time being. Over
0: under another transactional one, one point five deals on trade deadline day for the Toronto Blue Jays. I think it's August second this year, is when they set it for. So on August second, in that twenty-four hour period, will there be two trades or not?
1: Yeah. So I think it's just the day of August second. I don't think it's the twenty four hour period. What's the difference? Like, I think it has to be on the day. Well, the 20, oh, got 24 it, right? weeks then it would back be at like first. three p.m. Yeah, right. So yeah. yeah,
0: so it really would be only like a like a sixteen hour period or yeah. so if it's at four exactly. p.m. I
1: assume. Yeah. Yes. yes. So literally on the deadline day, I'm taking the over. I think the Jays clearly. I mean, this is a team that needs upgrades now. Really. I mean, they need more power on their bench. They could use a depth starter. They could use uh, more impact in their bullpen. Those needs exist now. That more needs might exist later. And as much as they have some help coming in-house, you're not going to solve all those needs in-house. So to me, this will be a team that needs to make upgrades. And the only question is when they make them, because they will make them. It's clear they will address those needs. And so yeah, it's it's a gamble as to, you know, does it happen on July 28th? Does it happen on August the second, the deadline day? That's really the gamble to me because I have no doubt that those needs will exist and the Jays will address them. But I, I think deadline day is usually where you see things get done in baseball. So I think the Jays will make you know maybe three deals overall, uh, a few roster spots to kind of upgrade at or add to. And I see at least two of those happening on the deadline day.
0: Yeah, they'll make like two trades for relievers on deadline day. Like, yeah. the only thing that could screw this up would be if they get their business done like prior to deadline day. But I mean, we see it every year. Teams leave it to like the last possible moment. They want to gather as much information as possible. So, yeah, I definitely see uh, over
1: on 1.5 deals on trade deadline day. This next one takes us away from the Blue Jays, but keeps us in Toronto. So, it is a Yankee specific over under centered around their right fielder. Aaron Judge and the over under is specifically related to Toronto and it is how many home runs will Aaron Judge hit at Roger Center so the over under is 1.5 there's a chance that that number is zero uh there's a chance that that number goes way above zero so this is should we say regular season home runs here Arden is that fair do we want to include postseason yeah we could say that okay so we'll say regular season 1.5 home runs by Aaron Judge at Rogers Center. What do you got? Well, is there anything else that could impact this other than just his performance?
0: <laughs> I think we know there's something. <laughs> I go under. Well, what's your reasoning? I just don't think that he's going to play that many games at Rogers Center this year for one reason or
1: another. I mean, we'll find out on May the second. The Yankees' first trip to Toronto is May the second. I'm going to go over. This is a it's a tough one to predict. You, you know you have to kind of be inside Aaron Judge's mind to know where this is going to land, but. I don't know. I mean, are, are you really in a walk here? Are you really going to miss nine games? Man, that would be something if Aaron Judge goes on the restricted list with no pay for nine or ten games. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go over. I'm gonna think that he, you know, gets everything done that has to be done to cross the border and and ends up here and hits a few homers. Those game checks pretty heavy
0: for a guy like Aaron Judge too. This isn't just like uh, Kirby Snead missing out on a game check. Like this is. That's a heavy check. So you're yeah, probably a million bucks, potentially probably pretty convicted in, uh, in your beliefs. If, if you're willing to forego with that, that type of money. So that'd be my bet. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Coming down the, uh, the stretch here, uh, and we have the closer in to help us, uh, almost close things out. i was just going to set it up for the, uh, for the closing one here. Uh, Jordan Romano saves, 34 and a half. We're at a place now, Ben, where Charlie Montoya will actually still somewhat hesitantly, but at least acknowledge Jordan Romano is his closer for years. (laughs) Charlie Montoya has been refusing to call anyone his closer. And now if you like really back him into it, he'll say, uh jordan amano's closer of course he's the closer the guy's got a friggin he's got entrance music (laughs) they dim the lights when he comes in of course he's the closer will jordan amano get up over 34 and a half saves as the blue jays closer this season
1: i mean i think we might have to adjust this upward when i first threw these into our our google doc i mean he that was a couple saves ago so i think maybe we should make it 36.5 um sure well <laughs> no. Done. oh man yeah uh, it's yeah he's at six now so can he get 30 more saves yeah i'll take the over and by the way his entrance music is cool i'm not usually the kind of person who likes that kind of stuff necessarily i'm not usually like that stuff's I don't great know. man it's so cool it's though. amazing uh, make the game more
0: fun people like it what's wrong with it you ever seen the kbo like that stuff's. Great. i like it.
1: i love that stuff yeah it's it, for anyone who hasn't seen it uh it's yeah it's a whole light show you get the canadian flag you get the graphics and he does his slow trot in from the bullpen it's pretty cool yeah i'll, I'll take the over on 36.5 this i just know as we said that this he's going to end at like 35 but i um, <laughs> i'm going gonna, gonna to take the over i think he'll do it i think he's a really good pitcher having a good year in his prime for a really good team
0: yeah, if he's healthy all year, I think the over is doable, especially with like the the rate that the Blue Jays are playing close games right now. It's kind of incredible all their wins are like razor thin. But I'm going to I'm going to take the under as uh, a hedge on health and availability, as a hedge on the Blue Jays starting to win games by more than 3 runs at some point. Like I don't think we've seen the best of this offense yet, and we certainly haven't seen the best of the starting staff yet, so I kind of expect that there will be Stretches this season where the Blue Jays are regularly winning by four, five, six runs because I just don't really think that they've really touched their potential on either side just yet so uh, I I don't think Jordan Romano is going to keep up this like this pace (laughs) this rate of save opportunities that that he's had and uh, there's probably going to be a a, a point somewhere where they got to give him 10 days to let something calm down or or subside he's a pitcher you know it's not about him it's just it's the nature of the role in the profession that he has
1: so I'm going to be safe and go under all right, we'll see where that one leads. And that brings us to the final one. And, you know, this is another one that I just, I think we need to adjust in the moment here. So the over-under is for average attendance for Toronto Blue Jays home games in 2022. And initially, the number we had down here is 29,999.5, basically, will they get to 30K. But, you know, seeing the attendance over the weekend, it was strong. I mean, there's there's obviously a ton of interest in this team. People seem to be happy to get out there and, you Watch these games in person, and there's a chance that that only continues as the season goes on. So, I think we should raise it. Uh, I don't know where exactly we should put it here, Arden 33, 33, 33, something like that. I'm not sure what the fair number is, but I think it should be over 30 for the over under. Yeah, do you want to go? What are we doing? 33, or I think that works, and I'll take the over on that number. I think that. Um, I just think that we're going to see a lot of fans in Toronto over the course of this summer. That would put them among the attendance leaders. It would be a huge increase, obviously, over what we've seen in the past couple of years, past few years, really. But I think baseball is really coming back. I think the appetite's there for it. And I think we're going to see a lot of fans in the stands at Rogers Centre. Yeah, I'm over easily. I think that uh,
0: the Blue Jays not only just being a good team, not only the sort of the scarcity of of baseball in Toronto over the last couple of years and sort of the starvation for it, but I also think the Blue Jays have uh, like been really um, smart and creative in the way that they've used promotions this year, and I think they've done a lot of things with ticket packages um, and just kind of like a lot of cunning maneuvers on the business side that are going to bring people out to the ballpark for, even for those sort of like mid-May, mid-June ones that maybe, you know, the the attendance isn't quite there the same way as it is down the stretch or early in the season. I think the Blue Jays have been really cunning in the way that they've done some things with, with you know, promotions, with ticket sales packages, stuff
1: like that. So I, I think that for sure I'm going over on, on that at average attendance total. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance that they average, like, high 30s this season. That would be the dream for for this team for a lot of reasons. It would mean they're doing really well in the standings. But, you know, we've, we've seen it before in 2015 and 16 and even 17. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of hope internally within that organization that that can happen again. All right. And that is it for the 2022 over-unders. Can't wait for...
0: Uh I was going to say like October, but I'm sure the Blue Jays hope that they're, and fans hope they're playing through October. So I'll say, I can't wait for November when we look back on these and find out how wrong we were about so many things. But that's going to be it for us uh, here this week on At The Letters. want to thank Christian Ryan and Nick Ondraud for their production. He's Ben. I'm Arden. Talk to you next time on At The Letters.